Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez. We are dodging tornadoes and hailstorms here in Oklahoma. Uh, Tyler, hopefully you can keep the power on throughout the entire podcast. I know mine flickered a little bit earlier, so uh, but uh, hopefully we'll get a good podcast here. But guys, how are we doing? Uh, good, Adam. Yeah, it's flickered on and off twice, um, so hopefully we can make it all the way through this episode without actually losing power. But uh, I think for the most part, as far as tornadoes go, I think we're okay for the time being right now, Norman. So um, that's kind of May in the state of Oklahoma right now. So Corbin, uh, how, how are things up there in Denver? Not filled with tornadoes, uh, so I don't miss that. But uh, but yeah, we had some. Uh, I think it's mainly like just cold today, 55, a little rainy. But guys, playoff hockey is on. I know I'm the only person of the three who actually cares about that. But I'm excited. I'm going to the Avs game tomorrow night for Game One of the playoffs. So you know, life is good. So that's why we had to move the podcast. I, I respect it though. I mean, 1, if you had to playoff tickets, I don't, I don't. I don't blame you. Hold on. You said you couldn't even do it tomorrow. Anyway. That's true. That's so true. It, like, let's not pretend I'm just staking the claim and moving the pod. Well, I didn't want. To. <laughs> I'm I'm not saying a single word because I canceled it one or I moved the podcast one day for uh, National Margarita Day. So I, yeah. You, you you do you, Corbin. You enjoy yourself tomorrow. Hey, night. when you spend five hundred bucks on playoff tickets, you yeah. move things around. How many did you buy? Ten. Two. Holy shit! What are you like? Where are you sitting? Uh, about twenty rows up. It's playoffs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's not I mean, bad. they're the they're the number one seed in the West. Like they're legit. You know, cup winner. Contender, never, excuse me. Never, never been to a hockey game, so you'd love it. It's wow. Great. Used to be a Stars fan growing up. Back hey, I always the, hated Mike, the Stars. Mike Madonna, Mike Madonna, Brett Hull era, but no, never been to a game. Yeah, always hated the Stars, so that explained a lot. Well, I went to a game this past weekend. I made it down to Norman for the Friday night opener of baseball against K State. Sat in the second row. It was a, a very, very hot ticket. It was an absolutely packed house. Well, not quite. Uh, not quite. <laughs> baseball still lagging on some of the attendance, but it was a fun event uh, to go down to Norman, see the baseball team. They really put it on K-State. And I know we are taking a little bit of a risk here by putting the baseball segment up at the front of the podcast rather than Ooh. putting it at the very end. Because they we deserve know, it, right? Well, well move, Cotton. I, I just know our <laughs> listeners, and I know our listeners usually listen to the entire podcast all the way through just to get to the baseball segment. So we are risking Fair. losing a big drop-off of listeners after we cover baseball. But stick with us. We've still got football and softball and even golf as well to get to. Uh, but let's start with a little bit of optimism before we get into uh, some of the bad things that happened over the weekend. But um, there are some really great things as far as where this team is right now. And I think the two points of optimism for me are one, this team has really rebounded offensively. Um, we talked probably about two months ago this time that, oh man, this team was was struggling hitting. But if you look at the stats right now in the conference, second overall in average at 301, uh, first in the entire Big 12 in on-base percentage at 422, all while doing this at seventh or third to last in actual home runs. So this team's not really hitting the long ball. Despite having a lot of wind behind their backs at Eldale Mitchell, this team is finding a way to get on base, whether that's, you know, manufacturing walks, um, you know, whatever it might be to, to get on the base. The entire team, and it's fairly balanced. You do have Peyton Graham and Blake Robertson um, standing a little bit ahead of everyone else as far as average and, and getting on the base and so forth. But um, really, it's up and down the lineup. There's guys that you can, can count on throughout the process, guys coming off the bench, guys who have come in clutch, like uh, Sebastian Orduño, who really hasn't played much over the last couple of weeks at all, but you feel good about what you have coming off the bench. So I think that's one thing to, to really be optimistic about as far as baseball goes. Secondly is all the freshmen right now. You've got some really key guys stepping up. Wallace Clark, 
taken over that third base for Kate Horton, who's now moved over to the mound as a Sunday starter. Uh, both those guys playing really well. Uh, you've got Jackson Nicholas uh, from the outfield there and sometimes playing second base, uh, really pounding the ball over the wall uh, with some home runs over the weekend. So you've got some really uh, solid freshmen that look optimistic as far as, hey, where this program could head over the coming years with a lot of guys still with the opportunity to come back uh, with COVID years and so forth. So that's your optimism. There you go. Uh, Adam, I do, have a, I do have a question for you. You're the one that follows OU Baseball more than anybody on this podcast, probably more than Corbin and I combined. Um, OU Baseball, they're kind of on a hot streak right now, taking care of business against both Kansas schools. Ultimately, you wanted to sweep K-State, but taking two out of three, sweeping Kansas, that's five out of the last six. You did what you were supposed to do. Um, this team's 27-15 and 15 on the year. Now they've got three three more Big 12 series coming up at TCU, West Virginia at home. And they close out the regular season at Texas Tech up in Lubbock. So, with this team being 12 games over 500 right now, what's the postseason outlook for Skip Johnson's crew? Are we still um, a two or three seed in some projections? Is there an outside shot we could host a regional? What's the ceiling? And I guess a better question is, what's the most realistic form of expectations for this group? I've yet to see any projection that has OU higher than a three seed right now. And the most recent one I saw was before this past weekend's games had OU as a three seed in Corvallis against the uh, number three overall seed, Oregon State. So I think you definitely want to avoid that. Be much better to get a more regional matchup against maybe the ninth or tenth uh, overall seed in Arkansas over in Fayetteville. I think that would be possibly a good one. Uh, typically the committee is going to avoid sending OU to play in a regional against a team from their own conference, or maybe even a Dallas Baptist who OU will have played twice um, after the season is, is over. So I think three seed is most likely two seed would be pretty surprising. It would have been nice if they had been able to finish the sweep of K state. OU had a lead, some questionable decisions as far as who was pitching, uh, letting guys stay in too long, taking guys out too early. So, man, it, it felt avoidable to to take the L on Sunday, but I think overall you feel pretty good about a three seed. You do have some tough matchups here, but TCU coming off uh, a loss in the series against Florida State in Tallahassee, so I think that's good timing to be able to get TCU on a little bit of a rough patch here. And then you do get West Virginia at home. Out of the three Big 12 series remaining, TCU, West Virginia, and Texas Tech, West Virginia is the lone one that's at home. And Ironically, I'd, I'd almost rather have that series at home if I had to pick one of the three, simply because I think OU and West Virginia are pretty similar teams as far as where they might finish. So take that at home, feel much better about winning that rather than have to go on the road, and take your chances at TCU and Texas Tech, who you've already you've already beat Texas Tech and Amarillo. So uh, things are looking all right. I think probably a three seed is is probably still a ceiling here, though. I guess that's all people want to talk about baseball wise. So <laughs> I, I, got I don't have anything add. else. <laughs> okay. Well perfect. done, Adam. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> how, so, how was how was the attendance last weekend? You know, I think they announced something like eleven hundred, but I mean, it it was a lively crowd. I think people were into it. It was beautiful weather on a Friday evening. We would still like to see that a little bit more. Um, and, yeah. you know, the investments in that program and in that facility are, are coming down the road. I don't think that necessarily changes the attendance necessarily. I think it's still going to be winning on the field. And so we'll see. Hopefully we can get some money, some more money diverted to this program to increase the recruiting profile, uh, to potentially increase the, the coaching staff and so forth and what this team has to work with going into the SEC. But we could still be a couple of years away from that first big yeah. paycheck there. So who knows if Skip well, is the, even still around at that point. 
Well, and the reason why I ask is, I mean, going back and looking at the schedule, uh, OU's 17-7 and at home when playing at Eldale Mitchell Park. So there is – they are taking care of business when they're hosting at, uh, when they're playing at home. So uh, just ho- you, you just hope to see when the team is playing this well, especially down the stretch, once that West Virginia series does get here. Uh, you know, pack the Dale, uh, follow the hashtag. Um, you know, ha- create a really good home atmosphere for our, for our baseball team. Uh, see if we can build some momentum going into the postseason. But Corbin, throwing it over to softball for you, a facility that needs to get taken care of before we focus on baseball. Uh, what happened with Patty's group over the weekend? Yeah, home home guys. The uh, the game against Kansas City, I believe, was canceled uh, due to inclement weather. I think, um, and then uh, you know, taking care of Kansas uh, in a three game set. Uh, puts the Sooners at 45 and one on the season. They outscore KU 35 to one, and we can stop talking about bad teams on uh, OU schedule because from here on out, it's all going to be pretty good. Starts off this weekend, um, big uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday bedlam matchup with the Cowgirls. Thursday 7 p.m. on ESPN. Friday 6 p.m. on ESPN two. Saturday 4 p.m. on ESPN U. So hitting all the channels there that ESPN has to offer. Uh, Cowgirls right now 38 nine on the year, including uh, two losses just last weekend to Florida State, who's a top five program right now, uh, losing two to one in both of those. So a very competitive games. Um, Cowgirls need a sweep to win the Big 12. OU just needs one win, but I think we can all agree uh, this means more than the Big 12 Conference. Uh, you got to take care of things in the field against your in-state rivals. So um, I'm excited to see what happens. The Cowgirls seem like they're always on the edge of really being an elite program, um, but they're, they've never just kind of crossed that. Going back to even last weekend against Florida State, two losses, two to one both times, just really can't get over that edge. Um, and so, you know, if things stay, uh, you know, ho-hum, OU goes out there, handles business, um, goes in the Big 12 tournament, obviously the one seed. But, uh, I mean, we'd all love it if a, a 3-0 sweep came through when we're talking about this next week. Corbin, do just you Just kind of wondering the thought process – or go ahead, Adam. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, Oklahoma State, I believe, is right behind UCLA in the rankings uh, and in several of the postseason projections, which sure. talk about a postseason projection that is kind of meaningless for OU fans because OU would have to really fall on their face not to get the number one overall seed. But right. do you have any feeling as far as Oklahoma State being the toughest team that we'll have played this year, or is it still UCLA even despite playing them super early? To I mean, it depends on how you view that, right? You play UCLA once versus Oklahoma State three times. I think that does change the how, how hard of an opponent it is. Um, if you played UCLA three times, do we beat them all three times? Maybe not. Um, I, I, I'll put it this way. If we're playing each three times, I'm more confident we get three wins against Oklahoma State than I do at UCLA. Um, yeah. And that's just because I think, you know, UCLA is just – They've been there. I can trust that brain just a bit more than I can Oklahoma State. So who knows what happens this weekend. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to kind of put that apples to apples whenever you've got a three-game set versus just kind of a one, uh, you know, non-conference um, game early in the season. Yeah, it was kind of bad luck, the fact that OSU had to travel to Fl- to Florida State. Um, just kind of kind of a weird spot to have a two-game non-conference. Uh, I love it. Spe- I well, it's great I, I, I mean, it's – yeah, but also at the same time, too, it's kind of a momentum killer because OSU was kind of dominating through their stretch of the Big 12 play yep. coming into Norman. Uh, two teams, probably the hottest in the conference right now. Texas is kind of taking a step back. But, no, 38-9, uh, Bedlam for all the marbles in yep. Norman. You know, what more could you ask for? Not much. It's going to be an exciting weekend, guys. So, um, yeah, pack Patty's place on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm sure it will be. But, uh, but yeah, it should be a pretty raucous environment. I will be there on Thursday. Look for me, Adam. I'll be the guy wearing red. 
I will, I will try so. to find you in the crowd. <laughs> I, I do think uh, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, OSU's got some really good pitchers, and we've mm-hmm. seen a couple of slow – slow-developing offensive games from the Sooners recently. Um, I'm thinking specifically of the loss to Texas. Um, even this past weekend, I think there was one game where OU didn't have any runs through the third or fourth inning, which seems a little slow, especially when you consider that most of their games are over by the time the, the fifth inning is here. Oh, sure. I'm curious to see if this offense comes out, you know, want to say bat swinging but obviously <laughs> but I, I want to see if they're able to put some runs on in those early innings to avoid those situations late in the game that have kind of put us on edge a little bit yep. I, maybe I'm grasping at straws to find something with this team that I want to pick at and nitpick and, and try to improve because they just seem to annihilate almost everybody but I think that's <laughs> one specific area that that I'll be watching there so that's fair I would imagine a pretty energetic uh, lineup this weekend. Um, it's yes. kind of type of year where you're looking to close out the year strong. You end it with a you know top ten ranked in state rival. I would imagine there's uh, the juices are flowing on uh, Thursday through Saturday. Well, and I think this is a really good opportunity too. You know, two of the last you know three game weekend opponents that we've had. You know, OU's done their job. They've taken care of business. You know, uh, in dominant fashion. But it almost almost kind of seems like this group is. I don't know if board's the right word, but they're ready to, to kind of be tested in a way. And who better to test than your in-state rival, a top-10 team coming into Norman uh, with what's going to be a uh, full-on national televised weekend. Um, and we'll, we'll see what uh, Patty's group can do. Well, let's talk football. And one thing that I guess news and noteworthy happened right before the spring game that we didn't have a chance to talk about last week was the new NIL collective for OU, one Oklahoma, headed up by, by Barry Switzer. It's the first official one, I guess, that I've seen from OU. We know that there's some things coming from Gabe Eichert. I think I've heard some mentions of the Touchdown Club putting something <clears throat> together there as well. But this, Dusty. Dusty's got something. Okay. So we've got a couple things in the works. This particular one essentially is supposedly already funded, and I believe they're saying they're going to get $55,000 to every scholarship player in football, men's basketball, softball, and I think is women's basketball included in there as well? No. I didn't it see football, it on there. Basketball and softball. Okay. So three sports there. If 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 I'm doing my math right there and I'm just kind of giving approximate numbers of scholarships there, I believe that comes out to about six million dollars. So that's something. Um certainly that's that's huge news for softball. That's huge news for some of those maybe into the bench football and basketball guys. And there's more coming, but how do you guys feel about where OU stands as of right now? Uh, it's a great question because uh, there's been a lot of question marks about this this one under Switzer. This uh, it's one Oklahoma. So I it seems like it's coming together. We're in a better spot now than where we were a few months back, but it doesn't seem like there is a um, unified vision of how everybody's working this. And one thing that I do think is a positive is the more NIL structure that you have, the more groups coming to, to bring this to the table, obviously the better for everybody. Um, but it just kind of seems all over the place at the moment. Maybe that's just me. Tyler? I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the best word that you used, Corbin, was structure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, in today's world of NIL, I think that that's something that's very lacking. Um, NIL, guys, now it almost kind of feels like it, it, NIL is now never what it was meant to be. 
Um, I, I think that this was, you know, in, originally when this idea was kind of formulated, this was supposed to be about athletes being able to be compensated off their name, image, likeness for services they provide as a student athlete once they are on campus at the school that they sign with. It wasn't intended to be pay for play. Uh, and guys, that's exactly what it is right now. The current state of Power Five college football, that's what we'll focus on, is boosters and football programs spending ridiculous amounts of money to buy the best players so that they so that they can come play for their school. And I know that a lot of OU fans are expressing this sentiment. You know, well, everyone else is everyone else is doing it. Uh, everyone else is you know pushing the rules. So why can't we? Um, and you know, guys, I, I get that, especially when the NCAA has yet to put restrictions in place uh, to regulate the cash flow coming out of some of these different programs and landing in recruits' pockets or recruits' families' pockets. But um, you know, Texas A&M, Oregon, USC, Texas—they're all doing it. So why can't we? Um, I can see why some OU fans are, you know, very upset about this because they feel like we should be doing it as well. Um, but you know, I, I hate to break it to you, OU fans that are listening to this. As long as Joe Castiglione and Joe Harris are the two, I guess the the two headed monster in terms of the leadership core behind this university and this athletic program, it's never going to be that way in Norman. Um, you know, we've talked about it time and time again. OU's had their fair share of, you know, pay for play cases over the years, but that's not even remotely close to what's being done in the year 2022 uh, as we sit right now. Yeah, I don't, and don't look to the NCAA. That help is not coming from that direction. Um, I, Something's got to be done. Something has got to be seriously done because it's. They won't touch Look it. at the George. Look, but. The NCAA so, is not truly in charge, and there's no one else. that. Yeah, there's no singular figure here that's in charge of college football. So maybe the most powerful person that could do something is Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. Yeah. But you're right, Tyler. Like, we as fans, I think, are a little uh, feel a little jaded by this whole process because about this time last year, we were sold a bill of goods that is not what it actually turned out to be. We were told. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. You know, no business owner is going to pay for all these players millions and millions of dollars to come play. That's going to be crazy. That's a terrible business investment for them. The market will correct itself. And here we are a year later, and pretty much all of our worst fears and the people that were a little skeptical, whether you wanted players to get paid or not, you wanted it to be done probably the right way. But it turns out the worst of the worst is essentially happening. And the media, who has no real... A connection to one team, so they don't care if someone you know, star player. Colin Cowherd. I, I mean, yeah, some some I know, guys I know. have their favorite guys, but for the most part, they're supposed to be objective. So they don't have the same type of sense of heartbreak or elation or whatever you know, good bad feelings that come along with winning a guy, losing a guy based off of nil and just the out of control nature of it. And it's it's just so imbalanced. I mean, there's already imbalances in college football. USC is not the same as Pitt. But when you put in a bigger school like that, then they're going to be able to pay. Same thing with OU and A&M. A&M spent $30 million on their class just for football. We've got $6 million assigned to three different sports right now. So it's so frustrating. Don't tell Jimbo that, though. <laughs> so, it, but, yeah, it's, it's not real. It's not real. <laughs> it's, it's, it's expanding. I, I think, Go ahead, Tyler. I was just going to say that if there's one thing that NIL has done to, to me, and you know, even going back four or five years even before this, but it kind of feels like NIL has transitioned, or not transitioned, but it's changed the priorities in which re- what recruits value when deciding a certain school. You know, in the old days, it used to be about tradition, you know, winning seasons. Where can I go win a championship? Where can I go that's going to best prepare me for the NFL? 
Texas didn't have a single guy drafted in the NFL over the weekend. That's yep. the that is the uh, richest athletic program in the country and the most talent rich state in, in in the country as well for for high school players. So um, Oklahoma is either going to have to adapt the way that they do business, and we're starting to see that happen. You know, what with like you said, with what Switzer's doing, with what Gabe and Teddy are doing behind the scenes, with the collectives being put together, but. Um, they're either going to have to adapt or they're going to get left behind because I promise you Georgia, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Oregon, those guys aren't going to suddenly develop a moral compass and stop doing what they're doing. It's an arms race in college football right now, um, and it's going to stay that way until somebody steps in. The NCAA is not going to do it, so I I don't know if it's going to ultimately turn into a a situation where um, like Power 5 conferences kind of branch out from, from the NCAA in itself when it comes to football. But until you, until whether it's um, you know like a committee, the NCAA, y- you have to get certain rules and regulations in place because it is a free for all right now in college athletics in terms of players being compensated not for what they do for services that they provide once they're actually on campus or making money based off their name, image, and likeness from jersey sales, autographs, things like that. There are literally kids, seventeen and eighteen year old kids getting millions of dollars thrown at them just so that you can come play for my school. That is a slippery slope in collegiate athletics right now in 2022, and they've got to do something to, because, like you put, and we'll talk about this here in just a second, Adam, college football is going in a really dangerous direction right now. So I think there's a few things I want to touch on what you just mentioned, Tyler. One, I think I didn't expect uh, the NIL to be as heavily involved in the transfer portal. If you would have asked me this a year ago, that has really taken its grip on the transfer portal, at least in um, the elite players' mind. So a great example is obviously what's taking place at Pittsburgh over the past week. Um, Blitnikoff winner Jordan Addison from last year. <laughs> to, to my knowledge, there was not even the slightest rumor of him entering the transfer portal. And all of a sudden, reports are coming out that he's entertaining you know, the idea of going to USC. And he's not even in the portal. And yeah. so, like this is this is you know getting into an area where it's like, I don't know. I heard I heard I forget who it was on the ESPN on on draft day, and they, they maybe it was uh, Pollock, and he was like, you know, it's not it's not nil the way you think it is. Nil stands for now it's legal, and that's that's kind of where we're, where we're headed with this because all this was yeah. happening before, and I get that, but I do think there was an argument I heard on the radio uh, over the weekend. As bad as is quote unquote I'm quoting this as bad as we think this is. Is it adding more parity to college football? Because the the rich are getting richer, but there are also other rich schools that haven't necessarily been on the national landscape that are benefiting from this style of whatever you want to call it. So does does this allow for the USC's, the Oregon's, the maybe some schools you you haven't necessarily been thought of as a national powerhouse in the past few years? Does this actually provide more parity across the elites? than the one, two, or three teams every single year that have a potential to win the national championship. It really just favors the I, biggest I, and richest alumni bases. And I think the biggest example of that is Miami right now. They don't have the biggest alumni, but there are some very, very wealthy right. people in Miami. That's what I mean, though. And, and yeah. Miami hasn't been on the national radar in quite some time, at least an actual contender. But I, I think that the, the, the way that the current NIL structure is right now, it gives programs like USC – like Miami, and even I'll throw in Nebraska, 
in that right now. Three programs that have kind of been down over the last 10 to 15 years because they have the rich donor base, because they have certain alum, um, you know, that are multimillionaires and even, you know, in Miami's case, billionaires. Um, I think that that gives them the opportunity to kind of level the playing field and you've got certain schools that have the opportunity because of compensation and being able to pay high school recruits, that gives them the opportunity to come back faster than, say, like a Mississippi State or um, like a Kentucky or even a school like Oklahoma State where um, I I think that schools like that, you you might have a one-off type player where you might be able to just you know whether it's a five-star quarterback or a you know a, a you know five-star left tackle you might be able to th- to throw a lot of money at that but like you said Adam programs like Texas A&M Georgia Ohio State those are going to be the guys that are going to be uh, key players in this NIL thing because they're going to be able to you know throw six-figure deals at 95 percent of the recruits that they value and want to commit to their school so it's a slippery slope but I don't know. I don't think that it. I don't think that it gives one program head and shoulders of advantage over the other. But I definitely think that it takes the eight. It separates the top six from the rest of everybody else in terms of competition. Yeah, I think yes. Miami, a program like Miami, could rise and benefit because of this. But for every Miami, I think there's ten teams that go the opposite direction and fall farther away. The Purdue's, the Louisville's, the Dukes, the Pittsburgh's, and so forth. Because a team like Miami has a guy like John uh, Ruiz, who is, is funding a lot of this NIL stuff for them. He's worth $20 billion. Uh, he's estimating <laughs> that $400 million to fund the NIL initiatives. Um, he's, uh, I think he's paying some of those players about $800,000 a year. So I did a little exercise. I wanted to put that in more relatable terms for the everyday average American. So uh, I took those percentages and said, hey, um, if I had a net worth of 100000 which this podcast has made me far, far wealthier, but let's say I did have $100,000 <laughs> uh, of net worth. And so the equivalent of me saying, hey, I want to give $400 million to NIL initiatives is only $2,000. You know, that's, that's certainly doable yeah. if you have that type of net worth. If I want to give $800,000 to one player, that's the equivalent of giving $4. That's crazy. And, but and I think this it is, is in this the grand is, scheme of things. This is proving my point, though. The, all the schools that were not a national contender now are still not a national contender. And well, now you're going to have more schools with the opportunity because of their financial backing to become a national contender. It's, true. It could be beneficial for the parity of college football. Fair, but like OU is going to fall far behind in A&M because for every – Tim Headington that, you know, OU has, A&M has 17 of them that are probably more willing. <laughs> not saying Headington is not willing to give this program, but I think the overall, the average everyday OU fan kind of prides themselves on the fact that we follow the rules. Even though this is technically legal now, there's still a sense of pride of, you know, we're going to do it the right way with culture and so forth. And Venables is, is kind of selling that. Like, there are a lot of intrinsic values that Venables is selling. And I think that may be an advantage for us because there are plenty of players out there that uh, come from, you know, middle or upper income uh, backgrounds that aren't necessarily going to be looking first and foremost for the money. So I think he'll find a lot of those guys. But, but yeah, there's still a good portion of players that are just going to take the biggest dollar amount offered. So are we upset Which- with this because... Like, let's just have a come-to-Jesus moment. Are we accept, upset with this as OU fans because we don't have the biggest pockets? Yes. And we don't have yes. the biggest alumni base. I mean, okay, I pre- I A&M, Texas, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's plenty of programs that are 
feel like they're just out recruiting OU right now. And I know that's not yeah. the end all be all because A and M and Texas have recruited very well for the last, you know, twenty years or so. Yep. Yeah. So it may yeah. not mean the most at the end of the day, but I I mean I think well, we're getting our get, basketball get, players poached right now and there could be potential that one of our football players gets poached too. I haven't seen anything on that. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying I know anything or that it. I'm just saying later on down the road it could happen. Yeah. Which which is a bigger problem right now, NIL or the transfer portal? The combination of them. Yeah. Is it the transfer portal because of the addition of NIL? Well, what what was the percentage that came out a couple weeks back from the rivals portal? Like fifty three percent of people who've gone to the transfer portal have like found a new home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something I like think, that. I, don't, don't I think it was around that. that 50-50 number. Yeah, and it's like, at what point are kids, like that? If you're the elite of the elite, you're going to go wherever you want, right? Like, like Correct. the like the Pittsburgh wide receiver kid, he can go wherever mm-hmm. he wants. But for everybody else, like you hop in the portal, you may not come out, and that may be the end of your college career. Mm-hmm. That to me is more of a you kind of have to own your choices if you're going to do that as a, as a player. So I don't mind that as much, but the shady stuff that's going on now with with the NIL, I think is, and yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you. If we had bigger pockets at the university, I'd probably would be loving this, but we don't, and it kind of sucks. There are various rules that are put in place right now from a recruiting standpoint and even a tampering standpoint that the NCAA has right now uh, in terms of a college football coach not being able to reach out and communicate with the with the player that is committed or is currently enrolled at another school right now um i did kind of want to get your guys' thoughts um uh, on you know jordan addison because i think we kind of glossed over it maybe that's you know larger part because we're sick and tired of talking about lincoln riley but um you know it, it got reported i i guess it was what late late friday or what was it saturday anyways it happened over the weekend that you know this kid the Blitnikoff winner wasn't even in the transfer portal and here we are getting reports that he's been offered a three million dollar nil deal uh housing allowance paid for by the usc boosters um etc etc is are are more rules going to be need to put in place because guys this is just a hypothetical the pete thamel put this out in the article talking about uh the relationship that jordan addison has with caleb williams because they're kind of they're part of they come from the same part of the country what is to keep Lincoln Riley from telling Caleb Williams, hey, this kid over there at Pitt, he just lost his starting quarterback. He just got drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. We could use him. Why don't you shoot him a message or you know, DM him on Twitter. See, see if he'd have any interest. If he says yes, let's put together a little NIL package for him. Throw that out there. Yes, I know he's not in the portal, but hey, Caleb, you're the one talking to him. It's not against the rules for you to communicate with him. Why don't you throw that out there and see if we can generate some interest? That's where I think that you're going to start seeing even more of a problem because the restrictions are put on the coaches right now. There's not any restrictions, as far as I know, that gives players that are currently enrolled at various schools the opportunity to speak to players at other schools because it is a free-for-all. It's it's basically like free agency in college football right now, and NIL is just adding fuel to the fire on this. How do you regulate that, though? You can't. I mean, there's no possible way to regulate that. And let's be honest, OU's, do you pulled, give... some, OU's pulled some of that same stuff. You don't think Mike Woods was probably approached before he hit the transfer portal last year? It may not be happening in Norman on the level well, that USC just did, yeah. but it's still happening. Lincoln Riley, yeah. the common denominator. Same there. guy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I, I've there seen some go. people suggest that if you 
transfer, you should lose a year of eligibility, but still be immediately eligible. I don't think that's a good idea because then guys only have three years to play in, in a sense. I don't like that very much at all. So I, I don't know. I kind of wonder if there should be still a city year type of rule, but I, I, maybe not the same as the way it was before. Maybe it's like four games, you know, quarter of the season or something like that. Just to kind of, I, I don't know. And it's, it's not perfect either. I don't, I don't want to punish guys necessarily, but I also still want to protect from that tampering aspect. And you can't, you can't protect in the sense that, oh, the communication lines, because like you just mentioned, Tyler, they're going to go around. They'll find a way around it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, we're not. Going I, I back. just, I just think no. we're not going back. No, the, the, this is what I, the players wanted. They wanted more power and more control, and now they have it. And unfortunately, this is kind well, of how this I plays just, out. I just think it is a very slippery slope that we're walking on right now. And again, this is another hypothetical where Georgia could lose their starting middle linebacker, Nakobe Dean, to the NFL draft, and they could have one of their other players pick up the phone, call Danny Sussman, hey, I'll throw fi- we'll throw $5 million at you once you come over. And then OU's the one that's screwed on that deal uh, because Georgia's the one that's tampering on it. I just think that but there's OU can do there that has too. to be. Well, I, not, I from a from a from a compensation standpoint, or from a communicating with very, other players from other there schools. Are very few teams that are going to be able to offer that type of money. Very few, if any. Uh, Caleb Williams didn't even make five million dollars on NIL. Now, if you're saying, "Hey, we're going to offer him a few hundred thousand dollars," oh, you can play play in that realm. But there are very there. I understand. Where but will work. but will they? That's up to the OU donors. And then if you want to continue to keep and, – and I can't say anything. I can't contribute that type of money. But if you want to keep seeing your top players go elsewhere for more money, then you need to open up your pocketbooks because that's where we're at. Yeah. If you want to see OU fall on their face as a program and be just a semi-high-end <laughs> – yeah, kind of. I, won't, I don't think we'll ever get to that point. But if that's what if – that, if you're okay with that, then you can't complain when it, when it happens if you've got the money. I think yeah. the only way to solve some of these challenges, and it will open a new can of worms with other problems, is to basically say it is pay for play. The universities are going to pay them, and there's going to be a collective bargaining agreement so that there is fairness that's across the is. board. And unfortunately, that's going to bring NFL-type issues where there's going to be lockouts and players demanding more money and so forth. And that mm-hmm. that seems messy. That's something I don't want in college football. I don't want that. Um, to be a focus because then it starts turning it just, more and more into the NFL. And think, and if it, if it goes that route, you're going to have to have equal amount of women's student athletes being I was paid just the about same to say, way. So yeah. it's not even then, just football anymore. Yeah. So it, then, then it, you're, it, then you're, you're talking about title nine issues and, and all that. And why do there, players there have to leave after a, four years then just keep them. Exactly. You know. <laughs> and there is not yeah. a solution. There's not. There is, there is pitfalls in every single way you look at it, including going back to the old structure. And so there is not a, a one-fix-all scenario here that's going to work. But what's the best option? That I don't know. To be frankly honest, is, I don't know. Is that something where each conference should regulate that on their own instead of a, a one-whole governing body like the NCAA? Because that just creates bidding wars conference against conference. It's just going to keep going up. So you need to have everybody on the same page. It just blows my mind. We live in the year twenty. We live in an era where six-figure deals are getting offered to high school juniors and seniors. That it is that, never that weird when you consider how much professional athletes make. It's not weird to me. 
I would counter and say it's not weird when you see how much money is being made during college football season by these. When you talk about TV deals, um, you know, season ticket sales, sponsorships, things like that, I guess it's not as shocking to me that this much money is being thrown around when you see how much money Texas A&M is making on an annual basis, so on and so forth. But but why why would that be why would that be different? Let's let's take our workflows for an, for example. My boss makes more than I do. His boss makes more than he does. An NFL player is going to make more than college players do, at regardless of the level. You know, college players are going to make more than high school players. That's this is normal in every other business except college athletics until now. <laughs> you have college athletes making more than their coaches. Who? Mm, yeah, I don't know about that yet. Who? Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is making more each year than uh, or Caleb. When, or let me let me say this: when Caleb was here at Oklahoma through his NIL deals, he was making more money than I'd say probably seventy five percent of the coaches on OU staff. He may not be making more money than Lincoln Riley, but he's probably making more money than you know the the outside linebacker coach or the inside wide receiver coach. Fair, but he's probably the reason that you know the outside linebacker coach is making that money. That, there you go. That's right. We we sound like a bunch of olds here because uh, college football is ruined. It's uh, it's over. So this will be our last podcast ever. Um, yeah. But let's uh, let's turn a little bit to the NFL draft. There were some good things that happened uh, there for the Sooners. Seven of them drafted this past weekend. I think there was a few that we were a little surprised that didn't get drafted, and several guys actually slid a little bit. Uh, we can continue to blame Lincoln Riley for all of that, but. I think the biggest storyline for me out of the draft is three Sooners uh, coming to the Cleveland Browns. And I'm just like, why? Why, Cleveland? Why did you do this to us? Because we hate you now. And now you put three players on there, albeit guys that, you know, on the defensive line, they're, they're not going to put up, you know, huge stats most likely. It's, it's very rare for a defensive lineman to be a, a big impact guy that selling tons of jerseys and so forth. So, They'll be there. They might may have really long productive careers and not be all that notable in a sense. But it's like, man, we could have we could have had something. I, I think that Perry on Winfrey has an opportunity to be the be the player, you know, out of this group of seven of OU guys that were drafted. I think he has an opportunity to maybe benefit the most from the destination that he was, you know, picked at. Uh, just because when you look at Cleveland right now at that defensive line, you got Jadavion Clowney on one end, you've got Miles Garrett on the other, two guys that are commanding a lot of attention, to, you know, playing and play out. So, you know, if Winfrey, if he can play like he did over the course of the final three games of the regular season uh, this past year, I think the Perry on Winfrey could be uh, a guy that can make an impact up there in Ohio. I don't know what you're talking about, Adam. Browns ain't on my radar. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, I'm in Denver, and for the first time since I've gotten out here, OU has been in the spotlight. Uh, so. Uh, Nick Benito, obviously being Denver's first pick of this year's draft, has been talked about about every 30 minutes uh, on sports radio out here. So it's been exciting. Then obviously DTY getting picked up. Haven't heard as much about him, um, but I will say, and Adam, I know you're going to throw in the clip, George Payton, the Broncos GM, had some pretty interesting things to say about Nick Benito, uh, which you can listen to here. thought uh, Nick was one of the better pass rushers, you know, uh, coming out. You know, just the bend, the speed, the burst. Um, very natural, um, you know, at Oklahoma, a lot of production, you know, he needs to get a little stronger, but we, you know, we didn't anticipate him being there. And so we're really fortunate. But as far as, um, you know, some opportunities for other guys, one thing I was really curious on, did anybody make a mistake? 
a lot of these guys did come out early. Most of, I think, over half of the guys who were draft eligible in this year's draft did come out early. When you look at a Winfrey, when you look at a Gabe Burkich, when you look at a Kenny Brooks, Nick Benito, any of those, you'd be like, ooh, maybe should have come back. It's got to be the offensive lineman. Marquise Hayes, I think, yeah. was one of them within the last five picks of, <laughs> of the, the end of the draft there. And then Tyrese Robinson going undrafted. Both those guys could have benefited a ton from Jerry Schmidt, in my opinion. Coming back, proven that it was you know maybe just the offensive system or the strength coach that they had, what they were set up with, and having a really dominant fifth, maybe even sixth year, depending on how long those guys have been here. I lost track. But they certainly had an opportunity to, to do some really good things, and it showed. They, they slipped a lot. Yeah, Gabe Burkage is one that I've been kind of going back and forth with. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the the greatest kicker in, in OU football history. He's accomplished anything and everything, you know, that he could have possibly set out to. Um, kicking is just kind of a, a weird one because, like I said, what more could he have done? You know, how much better was he going to improve staying in Oklahoma for one more year? You know, um, I wish my Dallas Cowboys would have drafted him, but I think that Gabe is one that you could I – could, I could understand both arguments or both sides of the argument. Kennedy Brooks is another one for me. Um, you know, 2,000 yard seasons, you know, Kennedy is what he is at this point right now. I'm not really sure uh, how big of a step he would take, you know, in terms of his speed, you know, his size, athleticism, strength. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly in line with you, Adam. I think that uh, Tyrese Robinson and, Mar- and uh, Marquise Hage, that would have been a match made in heaven with Jerry Schmidt coming back to Norman in terms of what he could have done to improve them one more year. I'm actually going on the other side of the ball, guys, because even though we saw more defensive picks from the Sooners in this year's draft, and they were the earlier of the bunch, what could those guys have been with one year more? And that, that I think, is a big question, where does a Nick Benito go into a first round in a year after a Venables defense? Those are some of the questions I'd ask, and, and it sounds strange, right, because those were the best draft picks we had, but what yeah. could they have been if they would have come back for a year? But I don't think Nick Benito would have grown two more inches. Like he, he's kind of listed as that tweener size-wise guy. So maybe production goes up and he still gets drafted higher, but I think there's still a ceiling for his body type. Mm-hmm. Fair, but if you, I, I will actually kind of tip my cap to George Payton. He, said, he kind of was like they use Nick too, in too many different ways. Yeah. And and he, if he would have come into Venable system, he would have been assigned a specific role. It's no different than what we're seeing with Billy Bowman right now, right? Billy Bowman now has a position. Not positions, a position in this defense. And that's very similar, like, you know, and, and he said it as far as like, you know, their defensive ends aren't really, you know, they don't they're not meant to set the edge in, in Alex Grinch's defense. That's gonna take some time for him to establish here. You don't think he would have learned how to set the edge in a Brent Venables defense? I think he would have. And that potentially those are the things that I think can close that gap. Maybe he doesn't get to the first round, but I, my gut says he probably still goes <clears throat> up in some way, shape, or form, health pending, obviously. I just, I just, you know, laugh and kind of shake my head because these are two guys playing the exact same position and now will have played for the same franchise. Can you imagine Alex Grinch telling Vaughn Miller, "Hey, don't rush the passer. You know, once you drop drop off into the flat." I mean, Nick Benito's gift, his most valuable asset, is his ability to rush the yeah. passer. Um, and so I, I think that you know Denver saw that. You know, we heard the comments just a second ago. I think if anybody can use his, utilize his gifts and his skill set, what makes him such a really good football player. Uh, I think that Denver, um, this is a fantastic pick for them and look yep. forward to seeing him uh, playing the NFL for many years. They mentioned uh, something on the radio that 70%, I think, of Benito's tackles were behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, shocker. 
and yet let's let's put him at spy. Let's let's spy at the quarterback. It's just yeah. the things you see now. And granted, I think we probably saw glimpses of it. But in hindsight, is always twenty twenty. But the things you see now, and you start hearing how NFL GMs and coaches talk about it, it's like, damn, we really missed out on some pretty good stuff. If you know, we'd had better people in charge. Adam, I do have a question for you. We'll kind of transition here. Um, uh, fill in this sentence. The storyline of this NFL draft is what? The Browns hate us. <laughs> they want us to live in just <laughs> agony. But, yeah, I, I'd go with that. I'll, I guess that, there's another easy one, low-hanging fruit. I'll leave that one for you guys, though. Georgia was pretty damn good. That's what mine was going to be. Yeah, that 2021 Georgia team. Holy shit. Yeah, what, uh, 15 draft 15 picks? draft picks. Five in the first round. Yeah, not uh, not too shabby for Kirby Smart. Pretty good recruiting statistic. He Stars still there matter. Is that a fair headline of the draft? Well, how, how about specific to OU? Just Do you have a headline specific to OU's performance? The, Where the hell is Baker Mayfield going to play? No, no, I'm, the, I'm the num. Yeah, I'm the saying, number of OU players drafted looks pretty at the total, but then when you look of where they were drafted, this this program, like at least in a draft perspective, is not on the right front. At least right now. Yep. Seven players being drafted, four unrestricted free agents signing with teams. It just it's just pouring salt in the wound on what that 2021 team could have possibly been. We're not even talking about Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler. Yeah, there were so many more guys that could have been uh, drafted, that should have been drafted if everything had Mm -hmm. gone right from the 2021 season. It's it's amazing what happens when you have a coach that gives up halfway through the season. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's talk about a guy that doesn't give up, and that's Baker Mayfield. Didn't get drafted on draft night, or uh, traded on draft night, rather. I think a lot of people thought that was going to happen. There was a lot of murmurs about the uh, Panthers potentially picking him up, which I think at first I was like, I don't know if I like that fit. But then I realized that division's still fairly wide open. It's a warm-weather division. Mm-hmm. I think you like some of the weapons that he could have been surrounded by. And maybe they still do go after him. Um, Matt Corral's yeah. there now. I guess they still have Sam Darnold. But maybe there's a way that they, they work that out in the end. So... Is it Seahawks or bust at this point for you guys otherwise? I think they'll cut him. And Why, though? Why would you cut him? Because I think because you, if, you still it, don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. You cannot cut him if you're the Browns. And I'm not saying the Browns already won't because they're idiot, an idiot franchise, but there's no way you cut him until Deshaun uh, Watson's situation gets figured out. If they cut him, do they have to pay him the $18 million? They do, yeah. Okay. I, I understand, Corbin, what you're saying from the standpoint of with the 22 sexual assault allegations still <laughs> be, being out there. I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Put that in the same they, sentence, they, Tyler. 22 sexual assault allegations and a fully guaranteed contract. <laughs> that's that's where we we want to talk about things that are messed up. Let's discuss that for a while and let's leave NIL on the back burner. It, it feels how, like how many, they had to overpay so much just to get him because he initially told them no, and they're like, well, what if we guarantee everything because you know you have all these allegations against you? And, and it kind of almost feels like other teams around the NFL, yes, we like Baker, but we are we also kind of want to see the Browns get stuck yep. with that fully guaranteed contract. So They reset I, I, I the market. Know. Absolutely. Yeah, I, Absolutely. And, now, and Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson, if Pat, if Brady Mahomes. Com- yeah, Pat Mahomes, if Brady comes back. And Brady's never been that guy. It's probably a bad situation. Yeah. But all those other guys, fully guaranteed, please. Yep. 
Well, I, I think I really do think that. And sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Adam, but I really do think that they're going to cut him because when you look at the quarterback class for 2023, it is head and shoulders above what we just saw from this past weekend, highlighted by C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young. So I think honestly, the best thing that could happen for Baker, I would like to see him get cut yep. by the Cleveland Browns, get your 18, 19 million dollars. I think w- whether he decides to. Well, I guess if he gets cut, then you know he he has his pick and choose of where he wants to go. Whether or not he wants to go somewhere, go to Tampa, sit behind Brady for maybe a year, learn the system, learn from a veteran who better in you know the NFL history to learn from. Um, I would definitely rather live in Tampa instead of Cleveland, Ohio. But uh, he he just has to get out of there. He's not he's already made it clear he's not going to play for that franchise. They've already you know screwed him over one too many times. Um, He just needs he just needs to hit the reset button. So I do think that. Cleveland will have to cut him or waive him or whatever the technical term will be in this situation just because all the other teams have the leverage at this point. That's why Carolina didn't get that trade done because they asked Cleveland to pay a ton of his salary. But I think once that scenario happens, it opens up the door to a lot more teams than just the Seahawks because now entering the chat is the Miami Dolphins, uh, the Detroit Lions, uh, the New York Giants, and and possibly some other teams in there as well that say, hey, we have a guy that we like, but we're not quite sure if he's going to be the guy going forward. Or, or maybe we're thinking about drafting a guy in the 2023 draft, but let's take a flyer on Mayfield, who was a number one overall pick. And if he's good for us, great, we have our guy. If he's not good for us, well, we're losing games and we have a great draft pick to get our guy mm-hmm. in 2023. So... I think it does open up the door quite a bit for a lot more teams if Cleveland is willing to take some of that salary on or just cut them overall. I still I don't think Cleveland will make that call until the NFL comes out and makes a stand on, on what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. If they say he they plays, have, they have then, to do something. Well, right? they did pick they up Josh Dobbs to. and uh, Jacoby Brissett, I believe. So they have already insurance guys that they've picked up as spot starters. If they if they don't cut him. And he has to play. If he decides not to play, they don't pay him, right? I think that would be know. not the best look for the Browns, but I don't think that would be the best look for Baker. Agreed. If you have yeah. a chance to play, you gotta play. Yeah. Yeah. He's taken um, so much. And most heat. likely in that yeah. scenario, he'd play great. That's the like that's the scenario that Baker just like thrives in. Yeah. Right. Well, one one other you know scenario that we were going to talk about, which was kind of highlighted even more by uh, DeAndre Hopkins getting suspended six games for violating PED rules, mm-hmm. uh, and that was uh, Hollywood Brown being traded from the Baltimore Ravens to wow. uh, the Arizona Cardinals. So, uh, nice new toy, uh, kind of a flashback to the past. Uh, Kyler Murray being reunited with Hollywood Brown. Um, any any other takeaways from the draft? Any other takeaways from the NIL before we wrap up here, uh, talking some men's golf? I did have a funny one. I looked at some 2023 mock drafts, and I saw Marvin Mims show up in a couple of them in the 20s. I don't think that he's a first-round wide receiver. He's a little bit on the small side, but um, maybe we'll we'll see. Uh, He could have put together a really great year. The other Sooner that I saw on a mock draft going, I think, number 11 or number 14 overall to the Steelers. Hang on, hang on. Don't don't tell us. Going number 11 or 14? Yeah, kind of in that range, yeah. You'll never guess this. Offense or defense? Offense. Is it Eric Gray? No, it is none other than 
offensive line star Anton Harrison, which tells me that that person has not watched a lick of OU football. Is just totally guessing based off of Bill Beanbow's uh, history. And he has put a lot of linemen in the league, but yeah, Anton Harrison needs to show me a lot was, more before I get Was Gabriel on there? No, and, and that was, was interesting. I, saw, I did see a variety of different quarterbacks. Um, I saw the Miami quarterback. I saw C.J. Stroud. I saw Bryce Young. Um, I saw guys from, from okay. all over the place, but I did not see Dylan Gabriel's name on there. To me, he's probably like a fourth or fifth rounder, just knowing that this, this class is going to be loaded. And I think that would be around a six to 900000 um, first-year salary as uh, that type of draft pick which certainly seems like NIL type of money that OU could put together if he's not already there Absolutely. yet. So I'm, mm-hmm. I just don't see him unless he's like, yeah, I'm ready to be out of college and go do NFL. Yep. And that, that could be the case, but I just don't see mm-hmm. the path to him being in the NFL a year from now. Well, let's wrap things up here talking a little bit of OU men's golf. Um, Oklahoma last week pulled off a comeback for the ages on the final day, coming from four shots back uh, with four holes to play to win the Big 12 championship over Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, the Sooners finished the week at 14 under par and got outstanding individual performances from all five guys, top to bottom on the roster. Uh, Chris Goddard finished second uh, in, the, in the Big 12 championship. Logan McAllister coming in with a T6. Patrick Wells, T9. Drew Goodman, the true freshman, phenomenal play for 18, 19-year-old kid. He finished tied for 11th. And then Stephen Campbell Jr. Uh, coming in at 18th. So really, really good showing from Ryan Hibble's squad. All five of his guys finishing in the top 20. Uh, and guys, for the first time since 2018, this is going on four years now, postseason men's golf will be returning to uh, Norman as the number one ranked uh, Oklahoma Sooners will host an NCAA regional uh, here in just two weeks' time. Two weeks from today, as a matter of fact, at Jimmy Austin Golf Club. That's going to be on May 16th through the 18th. Um, postseason time is here for for men's golf. Women's golf kind of came up a little bit short, um, but uh, Ryan Hibble's crew. This is a fantastic team. Um, you know, if you follow Eddie Radosovich, he's kind of followed this and tweeted about it uh, profusely over the last couple of weeks. What Ryan Hibble has done. This season alone, after losing multiple all, Amer- all multiple all Americans off of this team a year ago, for them to be ranked number one for a huge majority of this season, number one team going into the postseason, uh, and the favorite to win the national championship, huge shout out to OU men's golf, uh, and we'll be cheering for them when they kick off here in just two weeks. And uh, yeah, Corbin, uh, any anything to add on on uh, men's golf? It looks like we're having a little bit of technical difficulties as Adam tries to sign back on here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think his computer died, you know, amateur stuff to end the podcast. But, nope, I think uh, all good. Uh, I know uh, women's tennis uh, is on a uh, trek to win a national championship as well. I think they're getting started this week. So, you know, we talk about all the sports here on this podcast, but, Tyler, I think that's all I got if you want to close this out. Cool. Well, yeah, we appreciate you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, Tyler Burton, Corbin Polson, Adam Jacquez. Uh, if you guys have made it this far, go ahead and give us a follow on social media, at Twitter, on uh, you know, at the Mainline Pod. You can find us on all of your various streaming platforms, uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the good ones. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll be back here next week talking all things OU Athletics right here on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. 